you know, she was connected to the vine. Um, and, and there was just, it, it was almost as if she became so one with the Lord because she truly offered herself as a, as a sacrifice, her, her body, uh, her pain, her suffering. She, she intentionally offered it to God and he, and he was using her to transform lives. I am really privileged to be able to tell you this story. Well, not only me, of course, the father of the one who I'm going to talk about, but I'm really privileged because I believe I'm going to tell you the story about a young lady who I think will soon be declared a saint. She just died in 2021. And um, she was a star athlete, an Irish dancer. She was the number one student in her high school class, the president of her junior year. She was actually only... 18 years old when she died. When Maria was 16 years old, 16 years old and four months, she was given nine more months to live. And that was January 31st of 2019. And, well, you watched this girl who, as I said, was, you know, top of her class, athlete, dancer, etc., etc., lose all of her abilities one by one over the next year and a bit. Um, the story touched me very deeply because, as many of you know, my own daughter, Mary, very similar name, went through um, something very strange as well in the same time frame. Right around the beginning of COVID and when all that was going on, um, my daughter, Mary, was first paralyzed, then started having seizures. We had to withdraw her from her school, from um, what she was doing. And basically, we had to move close to a hospital so that we could be uh, just closer in case things happened. My Mary um, has, for the last couple months, been seizure-free. And uh, she was back in school this year, praise God. Maria Middleton um, suffered and but with a heroism that is really indescribable. I want to relate something to, this is her mom's description. Her mom, Susan, said, as much as I wanted to shut the world out because the pain was so great and close myself in, I realized that that was not the right move. We needed prayer. So Brian and I, Brian being her husband and the father of Maria. So Brian and I sent some messages out before we knew it. Requests for prayers for Maria spread like wildfire around the globe. We opened our hearts to the rays of God's grace and his love flooded our lives, she said. So that was very similar in our case. When we released, you know, my prayer request for my Mary, prayers just came in from all around the globe and what an amazing consolation it was. Um, but, you know, in Maria Middleton's case, it wasn't all bad, even though they were praying like crazy for a miracle, obviously. But really what happened was miraculous. This story is so stupendous. You know, I remember at her 16, 16, four months, she was given four, uh, nine months to live. 
Well, after nine months, she didn't die. In fact, it was exactly nine months after her diagnosis on October 31st, 2019, that Maria, along with her dad and mom, boarded a plane for Uganda where they went to witness. Um, And it was really beautiful. But, you know, they had some scares along the way before her death. And I'm going to let Brian, her dad, tell you a lot of the miraculous things that happened. But I wanted to share this one thing that her mom related. And that was that on June 3rd, 2020, she had already been bedridden uh, for more than a month at home. She aspirated, so she was taken to the emergency room, and everybody thought that was it. You know, her heart rate was off the charts. She couldn't clear her lungs anymore, and so on and so forth. And they had already performed, you know, uh, bronchioscopy and all these procedures. Um, And Maria was sedated, temporarily intubated, and... um, They thought, of course, that was it, that that night was going to be it. And after a few hours, she stabilized. And Susan, the mom, ran to her side and said, Maria. And she looked at her and said, Mom, were you scared? And uh, Susan replied, Are you kidding? I was petrified, weren't you? And little Maria said calmly, No, Mom, God has this. And uh, that's the kind of thing that is so inspiring. Now, Maria surprised her doctors and she lived till a month after her 18th birthday, long beyond the nine-month cutoff for her inoperable brain tumor. And she entered eternal life on that day. And her parents found a journal only after she died. Uh, They found her journal that she kept privately. The first entry in that journal was when Maria was only 11 years old. And it reads, God is merciful. The very last entry, it was scribbled in the diary because she had lost most of her ability to write because of the disease. The last entry was Think Hope. And they now run the foundation, thinkhope.org. Now, the journal um, is really rich in spiritual writings from Maria. And it really is a benefit to all mankind. So when she is, I'm sure, one day declared a saint, these writings will become, hopefully, a journal for people where they can reflect on so many things, but also especially the value of suffering. Um, I just, I'm going to read out a few writings, and then we're going to get to Brian, her dad. So on December Uh, In December of 2016, at age 14, Maria wrote, Remember to pray for the wisdom to understand the mysteries in our lives and the understanding to do God's will. On January 8th, 2017, uh, again, age 14, two years before her diagnosis, she wrote, God just wants us to do the best that we as individuals can. We don't have to compare ourselves to other great saints because we may get discouraged. We can look up to those saints and follow their example, but we shouldn't compare. Just do the best that you can do, and God will be happy. On January 31st, 2019, Maria was diagnosed with an inoperable brain tumor, and her journey of hope, as her parents call it, began. The power of prayer became evident to her from the very first day of her new journey, and Maria said these words shortly after her diagnosis. Whatever happens will be God's will. In February of 2019, at age 16, after the diagnosis again, Maria wrote, 
Life is a prayer. Every action can be offered as a prayer to God. I think the main reason why I don't know how I feel about everything that's going on and the fact that I'm surprisingly calm is because of all the grace and love that is overpowering everything around me and surrounding me. I can physically feel the peace and power of everyone's prayers. Then approximately one month after her diagnosis, Maria wrote about this in her poem, which she called Prayer. And this is the poem. The overwhelming power of prayer, revealed in dark and scary times, when one is blinded by fear and confusion, God's radiant light penetrating throughout, revealed in dark and scary times, providing hope in shining armor, God's radiant light penetrating throughout, swaddling his children in comfort and peace, providing hope in shining armor, as one enters their journey into the depths of the unknown, swaddling his children in comfort and peace, complete trust and faith given to persevere, as one walks their journey into the depths of the unknown. When one is blinded by fear and confusion, complete trust and faith given to persevere, the overwhelming power of prayer. And in early 2019, Maria said this shortly after her diagnosis. No matter the circumstances of my life, my purpose remains the same. That is to know, love, and serve God. Faith is an, not an emotion. Emotions rise and fall. Faith is a commitment. I will not despair. And on August 27, 2019, this is nearly seven months after her diagnosis, Maria wrote, I've kind of accepted the fact that maybe I'm sick for a greater purpose, and that's pretty cool. Maybe I'm being used as an instrument to help others find God. In 2020, Maria wrote, Spend more time in the present moment. That's where God is. Whenever faced with worry, turn to the Sacred Heart of Jesus, especially when you're worried about not getting better. Just look at Jesus' face. And now, we're going to go and meet Brian Middleton, Maria's dad. This is the John Henry Weston Show. Stay tuned. Hello, LifeSite friends. Aren't you sick of the cancel culture? Aren't you sick of the overlords at YouTube deciding what you'll be able to see and what you won't? Are you sick of them dictating morality and your use of pronouns? Well, we have had enough. With rampant attacks and continuous censorship we face here at LifeSite News, we've decided to bite the bullet. We are taking video into our own hands and we're playing on our own terms rather than the whims of big tech. We have launched our own video platform. Now we have the ability to showcase our important news and views without the risk of being banned and silenced. Defenders of faith, life, family, and freedom can now speak freely at LifeSite News without censorship from anti-life, anti-family, anti-faith, anti-freedom folks who seem to run all the big tech companies. This, of course, takes tons of hard work and also your support. So we're in the midst of our quarterly spring fundraising campaign, and we are in need of your support, both prayerful and financial. These fundraising campaigns are vital to our survival and the ability to broadcast the truth for free all around the world. 
So with the launch of our new video platform, we will be incurring many new ongoing expenses due to the size and bandwidth of our servers, the personnel expenses to maintain such a large system, and for new and improved features that we hope to add in the coming months. We must raise our campaign goal of an absolute minimum of $500,000 to continue the fight to withdraw completely from big tech and strengthen our ability to survive in the giant online world. So please donate at the link in the description below. Thank you for your prayers, your support, and your dedication. We are honored to be in this fight with you. May God bless you. Brian Middleton, welcome to the program. It's good to see you, John Henry. Nice to talk to you again. Let's begin as we always do at the sign of the cross. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. All right, Brian, thank you for joining us. Um, I've wanted to have you on for a long time uh, to talk about really a miracle, which was, I know, much of a heartache for you, but a real miracle. Tell us, if you would, um, about your daughter, Maria, about your family generally and uh, how this all unfolded. Well, um, Maria was a gift in our mid-40s. Uh, Susan and I had, had come together after both experiencing some broken world experiences and had been through a divorce and an annulment, and, um, and ourselves at that point really embraced our faith individually before coming together and turned our life over to God. And of course, you know, when you've experienced the broken world, um, you're humbled quite a bit. Um, and, and when you search for God, you're asking um, sometimes for signs that you've been forgiven. You know, it's it's a two-step process. It's repentance and amendment. Uh, we felt that we both journeyed to the point we when we when we came together, we were committed to helping each other grow, close, grow, grow closer to the Lord. Um, we thought we were beyond childbearing years. Um, and, um, and we were wrong. God blessed us uh, with with Maria uh, and Maria was very special from the beginning. Um, in fact, in in the beginning, um, uh, when when she <laughs> Susan went to the doctors, when uh, we we thought that she was pregnant, the doctor said, "Don't tell anybody um, because it, it doesn't look very good." Um, and so we didn't. Uh, and then a week later, we we went back, um, and the doctor did an ultrasound, and I could tell by looking him right in the eyes that he wasn't going to deliver us good news. Um, and just as he was getting ready to turn, he, he looked at this and I, I saw him mouth this out uh, to, to himself. That wasn't there last time. And it turned out that there was a child that, that didn't make it, but it, in place of that was this new child, Maria, that he was never able to explain because there had been ultrasounds done before and there was no sign that there was a twin there. So um, we we just assumed that he missed it, um, not knowing who we were about to meet. Um, and um, and Maria, we always would say that we have, Susan brought two children into the marriage and I brought three. We always say that we, we blended them, but Maria made us family. Um, she very quickly became the glue. Um, when I look at my journal from the day that she was born, the, the things I used to describe meeting her were just this grace-filled, calm presence. And that, that's a, a thing and, a, and a, I guess a phrase that would define Maria for the rest of her lives. Um, she, she was very special. Um, she was born that way. Uh, it was as if God had basically infused some, it was like she was born with a PhD in philosophy, you know, theology and psychology. Um, she became the go-to person for her older siblings, the, 
the next youngest was, I think, 15 years older than her. Um, but she very quickly became the the, the source of of wisdom uh, in our in our household. And it was difficult for me because I I realized that um, that I wasn't the smartest person in the house at that point in time as she as she began to grow very quickly in age and wisdom. Um, so uh, Mar Maria was you know she was nurtured very much by her mom. She attended adoration on Tuesdays with her mom. She would pray at adoration. But um, but Maria, in every other way, was was a normal child. She just had this grace. Um, later, by her spiritual advisor Kathleen McCarthy, she be, she began to refer to her as as God's little vessel of grace. Um, so as as Maria grew, um, she, she was very normal. One of my favorite Maria quotes in her journal is, "You don't have to be weird to be holy." Um, Maria was a was a holy person, but she she excelled in just about everything. Um, you know, and and um, whether it be her studies or athleticism, um, but it it never really defined her. Um, and and as you know, as 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 time went on, she just grew into this woman of grace. The um, other other things that I can tell you, her favorite Bible quote from the time she was probably in kindergarten on was was uh, the the Bible quote about the vine and the branches, um, and and actually that really in some ways described the person that she was, you know, the, the, the vine is God and the branches is the manifestation of God in the human experience. And, and she was grafted to God very early on in her life. Um, and, and everything that surrounded her just seemed to be filled with a certain calm and peace and, and certain mystical qualities. So that's, that's who she was as, as a child. Um, and how old was she when she started sort of advising her older siblings and even yourselves? I can remember when she was two and three years old and, and Susan was was cleaning up the house and, and she was dusting. And Maria asked her what she was doing. And Susan said, I'm dusting. And Maria just looked at her pensively, looked at what she was doing. And it says, it seems to me that you're undusting. You know, you're, you're not putting dust on there. You're taking dust off. Um, <laughs> And she was always an observer. There was a time when Susan had the flu and, and I, I took Maria out to breakfast and I said, hey, pal, aren't you lucky you have the greatest mom in the world? And she looked at me and she said, dad, do you know all the moms in the world? And I, I knew she had me. No, I didn't. <laughs> uh, her, her first, um, the first card, first Mother's Day card that she ever gave to Susan, it said, happy Mother's Day. I think she was five years old. It was happy Mother's Day to the second best mom. The, the first mom being Mary. So she had a she had a, a deep devotion to Mary and to Jesus. And it was almost as if growing up that she they were present in her life. She had a, this this familiarity with them that to me was very unique. You know, they they weren't uh, mystical creatures from far away. Um, they were very much present in her life from the from the very beginning. Um, and and again, she, she she was great with her older siblings because they were now late teenagers, early 20s. And, and one of uh, the favorite Maria expressions was she would always, when they were wound up in drama, which Maria didn't have a high tolerance for drama, um, she would just tell them to get over, they had to get over themselves. That was her big line with her siblings. Um, but from the time they they started, you know, coming to her when she was eight, nine, 10 years old, our, our pastor 
at the time tells stories that he would find himself in conversations with Maria that were deeply based in theological thought. And then he would look at her and realize he was talking to an eight-year-old girl. <laughs> uh, and he he talked about the fact that he he felt that in some ways she was his theological peer at, at that age. So she was, and again, it, I'm saying this, and she was, she liked all the things that every other kid liked too, though. You know, she was, she was a very, she was exceptional in certain ways, but normal in, in ways too. There was, there was nothing pre precocious or pretentious about her. I, I think, you know, if she was truly humble in the real sense of the word in that she knew that she was gifted, but she knew that those gifts came from God. And, and from an early age, she, she tried to give those gifts back. As her life unfolded, was there any signs of what came later? So other than, you know, were there any health signs that indicated something was coming? It, it, there was, it, when she was six months old, you know, she had um, some seizures that that we never were able to figure out what they were. And there was initially a very um, difficult diagnosis that was made um, that that she would never really grow grow up. That, that she would be impaired. Um, and those things went away. You know, there was a lot of prayer at the time, um, especially Susan praying to St. Joseph uh, for his intercession. Um, and the, and we ended up taking her one time to, to do an e EEG. Um, and the doctor just said, go home. These things will go away. Um, other than that, uh, Maria was incredibly healthy. Um, I mean, no, no doctor visits. Um, she, was, she was athletic and, and very healthy. So there wasn't, but if, when we, we didn't know um, of her writings, oh, you know, really? we knew that she kept a journal, but it, it was private. We, we, we never, never knew it. When we, when we go back and look now, um, there's, there, there are certainly indications that Maria know, knew and, and had united herself to, to carry whatever crosses in her life that God would give her. Uh, I think the, um, I mean, to give you an idea, I mean, the 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 Maria story really picks up on January 31st, 2019, when when she was diagnosed, she was a, a great Irish dancer and she had lost her balance in one of one of her practices. And so we, we took her to get her examined and and got an, um, uh, got her tested. Uh, and that's when the doctors rushed her to Children's Hospital in Philadelphia. And, and we received a diagnosis that um, that she had this brain tumor in her brainstem and would reasonably have about nine months to live. Um, of course, we, we, we gathered around in prayer and the prayers went, went, went crazy that the prayers went all over the place. Um, and then the mystic, some of the real mystical things really began to happen. Um, the, the, the first thing that happened that that's noteworthy is that within a, a the, the Super Bowl was two days later. There was a Super Bowl party that our neighbors have all of the time that nobody's really invited to, but they, uh, you just show up. And so we had our our family here for the first half of the Super Bowl. And at halftime, Maria said, "Can we go over to Mr. and Mrs. Krug's house?" And of course, I said she could have said, "You know, can you, will you take me to the moon?" And I would have figured out a way to do it. But we went over. Um, and when I was there, my friend Greg said, you know, we have a little surprise for Maria. Again, this was only two days after the diagnosis. And um, he said, it's downstairs. And as, so we went downstairs. And as I, I turned the stairway, I, I saw about 30 good-looking athletic young men between about 18 and 21. And it was uh, 
the DeSales University lacrosse team. There was a huge teddy bear there and they had dozens of roses. And, and, and as they I came around the corner, um, they, they said, we believe in miracles. Um, they, they had, and Maria was, you know, stunned. She was a 16 year old girl and suddenly she's got the attention of all these good athletic young men, um, you know, but in, in a matter of two days, they had gotten permission from their coach and from the school administration to dedicate the season to Maria. It was a beautiful story. It, it, it'll make a, a good movie someday. Um, but needless to say, this was a team that never had a winning record in the history of the school. Um, they dedicated to Maria. They, she was the honorary captain. They had her initials on their helmets. They went to mass before every game to say prayers for Maria's health. Um, so the season goes on. They're 5-0, and 10-0, and 15-0. and um, If they win one more game against the team that wins the championship every year, they win the championship. Well, they, they lose that game, and it forces a one-game championship. And so, and Maria, when Maria wasn't at the games, they had a, a big head of Maria made up. When they would score a goal, they would go over to Maria. They would point to Maria and point to heaven and bless themselves. The At the championship game, and, and the, the team was very good that, that had forced this game, again, the perennial champions. It was a neck-and-neck neck game, and it, they, they were came up into the stands. They didn't know if Maria was there. And so... Maria went down and greeted them at halftime and they came out at halftime and within 90 seconds scored three goals and went on to win a championship. <laughs> um, and, and, she, but in more ways than that, she, she influenced, she still influences these, this team is still in touch with us. They all have a great devotion to Maria. Some of them have made career choices. One of them decided to go into the seminary. Another decided to pursue neurology and the influence that she had on their life was tremendous. Um, but that was the beginning of, that was the beginning of this 20 month journey where Maria really wrote a masterpiece of a life. Um, and another thing I can tell you about Maria is a couple of weeks after she was diagnosed with a terminal illness, I, I asked Maria how she was doing. And she said, dad, regardless of the circumstances of my life, my mission and purpose remain the same. And, and it's to know, love and serve God in this world and ultimately to be happy with him in heaven. And she said, my faith, uh, my emotions will rise and fall, but my faith is not an emotion. It's a commitment, and I will not despair. Um, and she began to lead an Advent life at then. she, There was suffering and there was joy coexisting in her life. You know, a, a year later, she wrote in her journal, 2019, although it was terrible and great, it was the best year of my life. And and and, and many, many stories I, uh, of her. Um, was the president of her senior class. Um, and she, she was asked to speak on ring day. Um, and, and, and it was a very powerful speech. It was a speech that I don't think was going to make the school's website because she challenged the children of what was really important. Um, and, and that they should focus on becoming the person that God created them to be. In a world where many teenagers struggle to find real meaning and purpose, we know that our purpose in life is to know, love, and serve God so we can all be happy with Him in heaven. This understanding calls us to lead others to Him through our everyday words and actions. Each day, we all have the opportunity to evangelize our brothers and sisters through our daily encounters. So there, were, there was all of these things. It's hard to, you know, it's hard to capture, John. I, I, there were so many, so many things within that first couple of months, we began to be contacted by people all over the world, um, by 
by Christians who were who were working in the Middle East. They were living in caves, but they were their job. They were converting Muslims to Christianity and then escorting them across the border. We have we have audios of them praying in their Kurdish languages of of asking, you know, for God's help for Maria. Um, we were contacted by a um, a school, St. John, St. Uh, John Paul Academy in um, Uganda, uh, and we received a, a big picture of praying for Maria. And then we began to receive letters, um, and, and one of those letters was from a, a young woman named Patience who talked about how Maria was inspiring her and that that she really hoped that one day she would meet Maria, but she knew that that would never happen. Well, interestingly enough, nine months later on the anniversary of the day that they told Maria that she had an expiration date, Maria was landing in Uganda for a mission trip. Um and, and influencing people, not only at the school, but throughout the jungle, um, to see the way that people were, were drawn to her. Um, again, you know, she was connected to the vine. Um, and, and there was just, it, it was almost as if she became so one with the Lord, because she truly offered herself as a, as a sacrifice, her, her body, uh, her pain, her suffering, she, she intentionally offered it to God. And he, and he was using her to transform lives. Um, we, we traveled all over, obviously, I, as her dad. Um, I, I was going to look for every possible human way that might, you know, intercede medically on her behalf. And everywhere she went, she had the same. She was transforming the hospitals that she was staying in. Um, the... As, as time went on, uh, again, we, you know, our big thing with all of the doctors was you can have a diagnosis, but God will have the prognosis. Um, we lived, we lived with hope, John Henry, every, every day. Um, we prayed for a miracle and we expected a miracle. Um, and, and some people would say, well, you know, you didn't get the miracle that you expected, but we got many, many miracles. We, and we got the miracles that God wanted us to get through Maria, uh, miracles of relationships, healing, people coming to the Lord, many people coming to the Lord. We we had uh, two priests who came to us and said that they were contemplating leaving their vocation. And when they met Maria and experienced what they experienced in Maria's presence, that, that they realized that they were going to recommit themselves to their vocation. So there's, there, there's, an, there's an awful lot that I could talk about and continue to talk about, um, about Maria. Her pain, though, was real. What was that like? you know, what did she go through? Well, I mean, she, she uh, December of 19, um, when she began to have more severe symptoms. Um, but Maria never complained about it. Um, she, she just offered it up. In fact, on, on Good Friday of 2020, uh, at, at noon, we thought we were going to lose Maria. Um, she began having difficulty breathing. She began having secretions and we gathered the family and we got um, her Kathleen McCarthy, her spiritual advisor. And, and, um, and we prayed at her bedside and, and shortly after three o'clock um, she came out of what she was in. Um, and she said to, to us, um, God will be here soon, either for the miracle or, or, to take me home. And she said, but in the meantime, let's continue to save souls. Um, 
the it was it was by the way there's there's an um the next day a, a couple of people had said asked us if they could do a drive by for people to just give their support to Maria and we were thinking a couple of people would come by and this is actually this made national news uh, we live in the country and and um so this was an unusual occurrence but over 500 vehicles of all kinds showed up and drove through our our driveway here to to say give maria their best it was it was an amazing thing the in in um i guess it was in june um maria began to decline and 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 how old is she and, at this point she's 17 um she she entered the hospital doylestown hospital and that, and that was where we lived as a family for for five almost five months um but john henry the the transformation of that hospital the the administrators to this day talk about it um you know long after the agnostic physicians would say that maria's life was worth living the quality of maria's life was worth living she, she was transforming hearts and souls she was leading people to jesus and to eternity the the hospital room became a chapel and her bed became an altar of sacrifice people would actually take their breaks and come to Maria's room and they would pray. We had people praying. It was, it was almost, you know, they, all, all night people would come in that the, 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 uh, the maintenance staff would come in. Uh, at some point, the hospital administrator himself came in to see what was going on. Um, there, there was just this transformational experience, the conversations that played, we had, I, I jokingly say this, that in, it became almost like a Monty Python skit in all of the clerical people and the robed people who would come and visit Maria. Um, you know, one of the really special experiences was with Father Jim Blount came to visit her. Um, and and uh, he, when he came in, he, he, he was praying. Um, and, you know, he, he, he began to see things, which he has that gift. And he began to name he gives the angels and the saints are ministering to maria they're here with maria um and he, and he started to name saints you know maria Goretti, uh the, the kids from from fatima um uh, saint joan of arc was there uh, who maria had a great devotion to um carlo acutis was there and and, and um named if they were the young saints he said the young saints are here and he said maria is a suffering soul who has offered herself to save he goes thousands of souls of, of teenage children in the worst of places. Um, and after he left, Maria was at the point where she could, she couldn't hear, but she could see, and we communicated with a whiteboard and, and she would move her, her one eye up and down for yes and no. And so Susan listed the saints, I guess there was a little bit of skepticism. Uh, you know, we were just looking to, to confirm. Um, and we, Susan put a few placebo saints on there, um, a couple extras that, that Father Blount didn't see. And Maria said yes to every saint he said and no to every saint that we put on there. Um, and, and again, it was it, it, there was so much going on. We had, you know, the, the she, she wrote a letter to the Archbishop of Philadelphia when uh, the poor Archbishop Perez, his first week on the job was COVID. Um, so, so he... When they closed the churches, Maria, it was, I remember it vividly, it was 8.30 on a Saturday night, and, and she sent a, an email to him and, and communicated this thought, I, that that does it take someone 
in her situation, who's lost the security, the false security of a long life to remind you that the only thing that we have to fear is the absence of the Lord and that people in her situation need the Eucharist and they need the sacraments. And with, within 15 minutes, he responded and said, have your parents call me. I will bring you the Eucharist person. Um, and he did. Uh, and they created a friendship, a, a beautiful friendship um, that, you know, he entailed him communicating with her. Um, they be, they became friends and he came to visit her in, in the hospital to, to ask for her prayers. Um, and, and from what I know, you know, continued, he, he told us, you know, that his whole career, he's had five prayer partners that he prays to intercessors in heaven. And, and when Maria passed away, he said, I now have six. Um, so there, there was, there was, a there was so much, oh, there'll, there'll be more about this because the director of communications at the hospital, they was so intrigued by what went on that when he, he retired soon after Maria passed away and, um, and asked us if he could write a book about her final 20 months um, to, to really try and understand what was taking place and, and what everybody experienced there. Um, and there's, it, and it continues, John Henry, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not even capturing a, a, an ounce of the whole story. Um, there there's her her funeral which took place in covid you know when everything was shut down and nobody was coming was at the shrine of our lady of chestahove in doylestown we had five and a half hours of, of viewing one night and had to stop it and then the next day we had three and a half and had to stop it thousands and thousands of people came through thousands of people came to the funeral um there were 13 priests on the altar of maria's funeral um and and we hadn't invited them um, the, you know, we, we invited, I think three or three or four to participate. Um, and, and if you, if you see that because it's online, um, and, and it's still being viewed, there are thousands of people that have viewed it. Um, they, it, it was as if it, it was really as if God was pulling back the veil for everyone to see of, of what it is like when you truly unite your life to him. You know, it, it, it's difficult for me to still say that Maria died because it, it, it was almost as if she walked us to eternal life with her and, and we got a glimpse of it. You know, the again, long after people would say the quality of her life was worth living, she was introducing us to this world of the unknowable. And and she lived in that world her, her whole life quietly. Like she she didn't she never limited her experience to that of her own understanding. She was always willing to step into the world of the unknowable. And, you know, when when she was diagnosed, we, we had conversations, you know, about the fact that that people this is God's call. And there is so much unknowable about an all knowing God and and so much that's unknowable about medicine. I mean, in, in the if you look at, you know, the slice of human knowledge in, in, in the pie of eternal knowledge, we know nothing. And when what is known is offering us no hope we find our hope in the unknown. Um, and, and that's what Maria taught us is that we limit ourselves to those things. You know, we, to, and, there, and there is so much, there's so much mystery and so much awe in our faith that if, if we embrace it, we can live with hope. We can live with joy, regardless of the suffering of our circumstances. The, the interesting thing is I told you about the journal, right? Uh, the first journal we found Maria was probably 10 or 11 when we found this first journal 
Because actually people would, people were saying Maria is going to be a saint. And I would say, well, saints have to have writings. You know, there's got to be some way to put together the story. And, and, and we had, we had no idea. And then Susan started finding like this depth of, of stuff from the time she was six and seven, eight years old. But the first journal that, that Susan uncovered, it, it began at eight or nine. And, and her first journal entry was God is merciful. And the last journal entry, this was her last journal. And, and her, her writing had declined because she was losing her, her physical abilities. Again, think of this, the, the class president, you know, the great athlete, the number one student in her class, uh, a, a an all-star Irish dancer. She, she was lost. God took away all of these temporal skills. And the final message that she was able to communicate via the written word was think hope. You know, and Maria meant hope eternal. She, it wasn't mere optimism. And, you know, people would say, well, break that down. How how can that happen? And, and I can tell you from knowing Maria and from reading Maria's journals that, that there is a duplicative formula for the way that Maria led her life. Because Maria, when push came to shove, there, there's four takeaways. One is that when we're faced with something that's beyond our control or we're faced with suffering, the ultimate in human dignity is that we get to control our attitude over those things over which we have no control. And Maria chose hope. She chose faith and she chose love at a time that most people wouldn't be able to make that decision. Now, again, did she make that decision then? No, she made that decision years earlier when she decided to basically turn her life over to the Lord, when she decided that that to be with the Lord was to embrace the suffering and the crosses that would come across your life. But she chose that attitude when she told me, I will not despair, I will choose hope. Marina, you think about the despair that plagues the world, and it's because people don't know who they are. They don't know what their identity is. Well, we won't go down that rabbit trail, but that's a big issue. And that's why people are despairing. Maria knew at her core, her whole identity was that Maria was a child of God. That That's what she was. And she knew why she existed. And she existed to know, love, and serve God in this world and ultimately to be happy with him in heaven, regardless of the circumstances. And Maria knew what she valued. She valued faith. She valued family. She valued freedom. She valued truth, beauty, and goodness, and she lived out that life. So when the negative things came in her life, she had a rudder that was able to propel her. And that's a message that needs to just continue. That's that's the legacy of Maria. Know who you are, know why you exist, and know what you value. Um, we live in a we live in a lost world, John Henry, and and I see so many children that are lost, and yet here's a, a, a young woman diagnosed with a terminal illness. Who writes a masterpiece in the last 20 months of her life um and again the story continues um we we don't go a week without hearing from somebody that we don't know who's in relationship with maria uh, who's praying for maria's intercession we you know we we hear stories of people who are claiming miracles they're not you know they're not verifiable miracles but but they talk about relationships healing. They talk about physical healings. Um, we were constantly being asked um, for our, you know, for for us, you know, to pray to our daughter. Um, again, we know Maria is a saint because saints are in heaven. But if Maria is ever an official saint, the big takeaway I want everybody to take away is that sainthood is not genetic, John Henry. Um, it, it it didn't it doesn't come. We're uh, we're not the Martin family. Um, you know, we're just normal folks. So. These things continue to happen. I mean, to the extent that where Maria's final resting place is the shrine of Our Lady of Chestahova, 
Um, and they've told us that it's the most visited gravesite they've ever had uh, to the extent they've asked if they could put a display of information up about Maria because they have people coming to the monastery all the time asking where Maria is buried. Um, and it, and it just, it just continues. What is for you, um, some of the most memorable writings that you've read of Maria's writing? I think, um, some of them, she wrote one about transubstantiation when she was in seventh grade, that it's actually the best thing I've ever read about transubstantiation. Um, and she wrestled with it. She, she wrestled with, uh, is it cannibalism? Um, is it symbolic? Um, and, and it came to the, you know, to her own conclusion based on her worldly experience. And, and she studied the miracles, you know, the Eucharistic miracles that, that it really was the body, blood, soul, and divinity of God. But not only that, it was his heart. Um, and, and she came to the conclusion that it is both real, substantive, and symbolic because of what a heart stands for. And, and that's why he chose it. Um, that, that's certainly one, one of the ones that, that, that stands out for me. Um, it's funny because we're just, we're going through so many. And just when I, when I come up with one that I think is the one that nails it, I, I love any, she has, she's written, um, a, a lot of stuff about offering, you know, herself as a sacrifice. Um, I mean, things that are, she understood suffering at an early age. Um, and, and she, she writes about some of the suffering, you know, that she's experienced. Well, that is something that is sort of universal, but a lot of people right now are feeling their suffering in huge ways. It, it's some, for a lot of people right now, overwhelming. What is some of the best advice that she has with regard to suffering? One of the things that she did was that she united herself and her suffering with God. Um, she saw it as her journey. You know, she wrote, she loved St. Joan of Arc. St. Joan of Arc, she dressed as St. Joan of Arc when she was little at the, you know, when they would have to do things at school. Uh, and, and she wrote one time that she knew that God would have her in battle. And, and, but that the battle would be spiritual. Um, and, and so there, there was a, when you tie that to her, her vine and branches, um, Maria always was able to control her attitude and unite herself to Christ, even when she was struggling with normal kid things like um, uh, computer usage or, or or cell phone usage. Or she would she would always articulate the problem in a very common secular teenage way, and then she would work her way to uniting herself to the Lord. Um, she. She was. She would always end up there, and and I think that's such a, a great message. She understood that she wasn't born for this world more than anybody that I ever met, and so she didn't necessarily see suffering as any kind of a punishment. She she saw it as the reason that she was born, uh, and 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 I think it's the only explanation for her ability to unite it so closely to the Lord. Some of you may remember, or perhaps even newly appreciate, the late Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. He is considered one of the greatest communicators in the modern era and stands as a great example for all of us in what it means to work in Catholic broadcasting. For over 50 years, 
Sheen captivated audience on both radio and television, and millions tuned in each week to hear his messages of hope and encouragement. One of LifeSite's supporters is Radio Maria, and they are now proud to be showcasing some of Bishop Sheen's timeless recordings on their weekly radio show entitled Bishop Sheen Presents. Please consider tuning in to Radio Maria on Friday afternoons at 2 p.m. Central or Saturdays at 5 p.m. to enjoy the Venerable Archbishop's wit and wisdom. For more information on Radio Maria and their Catholic work, please visit their website, radiomaria.us. That's radiomaria.us. And now, back to the program. Another one of those areas that's very difficult for people nowadays is the whole concept of hope. Um, hope, not only, even even hope in the proper way. So she recognized she was a child of God. Her hope was heaven. But even that's hard. A lot of people are living in lives that are full of sin and wonder about their own salvation. Um, and then there's the whole concept of, of being despairing of, of just the way things are in your life. What was her message of hope? Her, her, her message of hope was that if you live a life of serving God by serving others, if you live a self-transcendent life, that you will have not only eternal joy, but joy in your life. There's there's some things that, that she wrote um, about hope and about truth um, that she understood that happiness is not a momentary pleasure you know she she was very countercultural and and had an awareness of the secular view uh, of a lot of things um she could see that people pursuing momentary pleasures were not happy people um but she also had a firm understanding she has a good classical education from the academy that she she attended in grade school and had a foundation of understanding the role of virtue and that that true joy comes from pursuing virtue um and true joy comes from being self-transcendent and and not narcissistic, um, and and those were really the the way that's the way that she led her life by pursuing by pursuing virtue. You know, there if when and she understood this. I, I don't know if you know some of it is stuff that she she learned from us. Some of it she learned in school. But when you eliminate the concept of objective truth, you eliminate objective good, and and when you eliminate objective good you eliminate the potential for true happiness because true joy and happiness comes from pursuing virtue which is defined as the firm disposition towards that which is good and and maria just understood that and she understood it at a very pragmatic level it was like she didn't understand why people you know would would do things other than that uh because it it the the joy that she experienced along with her suffering was all very palpable you know you people again when people are coming the hospital people would tell us we usually everybody avoids you got a, a 17 18 year old girl who's in bad shape and is dying everybody avoids that room but yet everybody came to that room they would they would argue over who was going to be maria's night nurse because they wanted to be in the presence there was a glow uh, a, a, a transfiguring kind of glow um that that was in that room um, we had, we had, um, a priest come to visit us, um, who was asked by a friend to come and visit us. And this was the Saturday before Maria w w was, was called home. 
Um, and and he he told us later he came and he was looking at his watch and you know he was there to give Maria a blessing and again three hours later we're still sitting there and he couldn't leave um, and he canceled his dinner plans and he later spoke about it he gave a, a beautiful homily about what he experienced in that room and it was he said it was like the ultimate retreat there was there was a a, a mystical priest um, Father Monsignor Essep explained to us that at one point Maria had you come so one with the Lord that there was no real separation and that what people were feeling was the Lord's presence within her and I again I had never experienced it before either but there was just this overwhelming sense of grace and peace and still is by the way um with everything that's associated with Maria um you know we there when you lose a child you know, there is this emotional and psychological loss that's just overwhelming. But it's it's counterbalanced by this incredible spiritual joy that we feel, um, you know, in the present tense. You know, there we, you know, we didn't love Maria. We love Maria. We didn't have a relationship with Maria. We have a relationship with Maria. You know, Maria has now gone on to her eternal reward because she's earned it. We still don't. There was going into... 2021 it was new year's day and i'm sitting at my table and i'm crying and i said i i don't want to move on without her and and i heard her voice and, and maria had a you know she could be a little bit sarcastic in a good way and and she says you're not moving on i moved on you got to catch up you know and it's the kind of thing that that she would have said to me and and i i heard it i heard it clearly um and it's almost as if, you know, what we feel now with, with you know, this foundation, we, we didn't start. Friends of ours said, we're going to start a foundation. Do you want to be a part of it? It was pretty difficult to say no to. because uh, It was centered around Maria. And we feel that we're being directed now. It's all, you know, we kid about it. It's like Maria got a big, a big promotion and now we're working for her. Uh, it's sort of what it feels like, John. Um, but there's, again, there's, there's so much, there's just so much here and so much continuing to unfold about Maria's story. Indeed. Um, well, let's have a look at Maria. If you can set this clip up for us. As I mentioned before, uh, we we connected a relationship with this school in Uganda. Um, and we didn't really know what to expect, but we decided to go there and, and Maria was all for it. Um, and there was there was these multiple experiences with people in the jungle and some of the kids at the school where you can just see the absolute joy um, it, there between the school children and then just some of the people that she was meeting in the jungle. And you can see here how they were just drawn to her and how she just waited right in, um, prayed with them. Um, and and there was just this love, you know, that that you could feel and this radiance. When when Maria was was diagnosed, the prayers just came and john henry literally and i i know you've experienced this too there the power of prayer can be overwhelming because there were there was no explanation for some of the strength that that we all felt during those initial phases um and there were times when we literally could feel grace flowing into us i, I can't explain what it feels like but i never felt it before and i knew it was something different and the only explanation i could come up with was that it was grace and maria really felt this too um, and, and this is, she, she spoke about this. In addition to that, um, she wrote a, she wrote a prayer about the power of prayer, which is 
now being circulated all all over. Oh, would you read that to us or has she read it herself? I will read it to you right now. So this was this was about uh, a month and a half after Maria was diagnosed and we began to experience all of all of the prayer that we were going uh, that we were that was being sent to us. Um, and this is a prayer that Maria wrote. The overwhelming power of prayer revealed in dark and scary times when one is blinded by fear and confusion. God's radiant light penetrating throughout. Revealed in dark and scary times, providing hope in shining armor. God's radiant light penetrating throughout, swaddling his children in comfort and peace. Providing hope in shining armor as one enters their journey into the depths of the unknown. Swaddling his children in comfort and peace. Complete trust and faith given to persevere. As one walks their journey into the depths of the unknown. When one is blinded by fear and confusion. Complete trust and faith given to person persevere the overwhelming power of prayer beautiful it is you know there's there's another quote that i just thought of and it, it came probably six months into her into her journey where she talks about how scary it can be but that her overwhelming sense and feeling is that of gratitude for the life that she's been given and for the people in her life um and and it's and she talked about how important it is that we live in the present that grace is only available to us in the present and that if we stay in the present all will be well um it, it is hard she was 16 when she wrote that and it's just, it's difficult to imagine facing what she was facing and genuinely, truly in her journal, this wasn't a public statement. You know, this wasn't a false self. This was what she was really feeling, just this overwhelming gratitude for the life that she'd been given. Brian, um, thank you for sharing with us. Give us some final thoughts, but we really want to know too where people can find out more about your foundation and uh, about Maria. Well, again, we we were approached by friends of ours to to create a foundation, and and it's called thinkhope.org, and it can be found at thinkhope.org. And the purpose of our foundation is really to to reach people who are on the continuum of despair. There's a continuum from early childhood education to the end of life suffering, um, and and what Think Hope is all about is supporting those organizations that bring hope. To despairing situations so good catholic education nothing like it maria had that maria knew who she was why she was born and what she valued that is so critical in this world where people are just so confused uh they have no meaning and purpose they have no sense of community so from the early stage it's it's supporting catholic education and a lot of classical kind of education the other thing that that we're doing is is looking at at the teenage years where people get lost in all of these identities that that don't sustain them. In fact, they bring despair and a lot of it is generated through social media. Then there's a part in the despair world where nothing works and people fall into despair. And so uh, organizations that are helping them. And then of course, the end of life. Um, we also have a focus on actually bringing hope into businesses um, through 
our, our consulting practice, which is our for-profit of turning businesses into communities of hope. So the, the focus is raising money and finding organizations that are ministering to people in despair and using our network of people to help support those industries. As you know, John, you know, Henry, you know, there are a lot of great people out there that, that are doing God's work that, you know, don't have networks or don't have the ability to raise money for them. And we're hoping to do that. Um, and that, again, you can you can find that at thinkhope.org. Um, I, Maria's story is, is, is still beginning. Um, you know, sh she lived a life on this planet worthy of adulation and adoration. Um, but, but just such a great example in, in this world of despair, you know, we need harbingers of hope. We, we need people that we can look up to who know how to bring hope into the world. Um, I, I think, again, I, I think the, the four components of Maria's life are, are messages that we have to get out there, choosing your attitude over those things over which you have no, no control. Um, who are you? Uh, why do I exist? And, and, and um, what do I value? We, we lack meaning and purpose. Children lack people our age. I see it all the time. They, they lack meaning and purpose and therefore they're victims of despair. You know, the, the, the big messages that we want to get out there is is that we are we are in a battle with the devil. Maria understood that and, and she understood that it was a battle of worldviews. Um, she understood that that her Christian worldview, you know, was the antidote to the human secular worldview, a, a world of relativism and and basically setting people up to disappear into a black hole of nothing at some point in time. When when Maria was diagnosed, she knew what her destiny was, and her hope was in her faith. Her hope was she understood that regardless of the circumstances, and we prayed for a miracle every day, John Henry, don't, don't, we, we prayed and we expected it, but God gave us the grace to endure it all one day at a time, led by our little vessel of grace, Maria. Um, and I know that, you know, that with it was very intentional that those were her last words. I know that she could see her friends and, and even her family members sinking into despair. And, and the one thing that she wanted us to have was her faith and her understanding that she was okay. Absolutely beautiful. Brian, thank you so very much for sharing with us. Your beautiful daughter. Thanks, John. And uh, thank you. God bless you. Yeah, God bless you too, John Henry. Look forward to seeing you again sometime. And God bless all of you. We'll see you next time. Hi, everyone. This is John Henry Weston. We hope you enjoyed this program. To see more like it, be sure to hit the subscribe button below to get all the latest content from LifeSite News. Check the links in the description to read more and connect with us on social media so that you can stay up to date with all the latest life, family, faith, and freedom news. Thanks for watching. And may God bless you.